Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying, kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. Oh, plays on and misses. Libba, 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 Libba. Welcome one and all to the 10th episode of Americans Watching the Footy, our round three preview. I am Benjamin Castle, here alongside my brother Ethan. That's right, this is going to be, for the foreseeable future, our final episode recorded directly next to each other, so probably means after this one, the editing process will become much more difficult again. The audio will become worse a bit just because of streaming. We'll talk over each other more, so enjoy this little bit of audio nirvana while it lasts. All right, round three is upon us. Looking ahead from the start of the season... I thought rounds one, three, and four all had a bunch of really sexy matchups, and that's held up. Although recent events have made a few of the games that would have probably been kind of blah, kind of ho-hum, pretty intriguing as well. So this is going to actually be a round where I think, once again, all nine games are going to be worth your attention. And that will start with the Thursday nighter between the Bulldogs and the Swans at Marvel Stadium. Yes, the Bulldogs are opening the first three rounds and none later than a Thursday. This will be Thursday, March 31st, 1.20 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time in the U.S., 4.20 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Nice. And 7.20 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight, that's local Victorian time. This is the last week of Daylight Savings Time, so we're moving back to Standard Time on Sunday, but we'll get to those games and those timings when it's appropriate. These teams met once last year in round 17. Sydney got past the Bulldogs by 19 at Marvel Stadium. Meanwhile, this year, the Swans have started off 2-0, which I kind of saw coming even with Geelong round two. And the Bulldogs, meanwhile, are 0-2. I definitely saw them losing round one, but the shock of the Blues' success has put them in a difficult position, especially with the injury concerns they have entering yet another round opening contest. This will be the first of two meetings between the Bulldogs and Swans. They'll meet again at the Sydney Cricket Ground in round 17. Good news for the Bulldogs, Bailey Smith back. He had hip soreness, turned out to be the injury that held him out of the clash with Carlton. Additionally, Aaron Naughton is in the lineup. The astronaut had a calf issue in round two, but he has been cleared to play. Hayden Crozier, however, is out. He fainted at halftime against the Blues and was not called on after that. Jamara Hugel Hagen slots in the starting lineup at full forward. That's another big chance for him to assert his presence. Hugel Hagen was in the 22 last round, and he definitely got more of a chance. But as we talked about in our recap, he's in a tough spot where, you know, a young player like him in a win now mode is not going to get nearly as much time to develop. 
Meanwhile, for the Sydney Swans, no rest for Buddy Franklin, even after his thousandth goal and on a short week. That's a departure from last year's list management. Nice for him to play at Marvel in front of the South Melbourne fans. Thankfully, no COVID issues despite the thousands of fans aground in the celebration after Buddy's thousandth goal. However, there is nonetheless a notable omission in Logan McDonald. He is goalless with just 11 disposals in the first two rounds and is really the only one out of that young emerging group that has disappointed to this point in the season. In McDonald's place, Joel Amarty will slot in. It's his fourth career appearance. He had two goals in as many games in 2021. And he'll be the second ruck because Pete Laddams remains at emergency, so it'll be Amarty supporting Tom Hickey. And Tom Packley remains at least another round away with his hamstring injury. The Bulldogs are favored by three and a half at the time we record this, according to Bovada. What do you think about those odds, especially in terms of the potential of Aaron Naughton being sidelined? I think they're appropriate, and I think the general consensus would be that the Bulldogs are going to bounce back and play a better game this week. I think we've yet to really see them do their thing. We've yet to see Bontempelli really dominate. You know, he's been playing banged up. We've yet to really see huge games out of a lot of their guys. Waiting to see more out of Caleb Daniel. Waiting to see more out of Cody Waitman. Mitch Hannon showed flashes last week and was quietly good, but I think the ceiling is pretty high for him, and I think he hasn't quite stuck to that ceiling for a full game. He shows moments, and I don't think he's ever someone who really actively hurts you, but I think... He still has capacity to be better. I'm interested to see how the Bulldogs try to attack Patty McCartan. Patty McCartan, another former number one pick who has had more of a comeback story than any top pick I can remember in really any sport. I hope he's able to keep things up because the way he's started is brilliant and it's great to see him succeeding alongside his younger brother Tom in the back. And then, of course, at the top end of their playing group, Buddy's just come off kicking a thousand... I expect there will obviously still be some focus on him just given his ability. Who do you think would be matching up against him? That's actually a really good question. I think maybe Alex Keith. He's one of their bigger defensemen. Or maybe they could go with Ryan Gardner. I'm more interested in seeing not so much the one-on-one matchups, but team-wise how the Bulldogs plan to counter some of the things that have worked so well for Sydney. I think in particular... How are they going to try to handle Tom Hickey and Nick Blakey? I think, like I mentioned in our round two recap, Nick Blakey is a guy where once he touches the ball, something good happens for Sydney one way or another. You would assume Hickey will have to deal with Tim English on a lot of the ruck work, but on the rest of the field, I'm not quite sure how that's going to all go down. But what I'm really looking for is Nick Blakey, because I just think he's a guy who does so many of the little intangible things that make the Swans such a tough team right now. In terms of that Hickey and English matchup, Tim English does have two inches of height on Tom Hickey, 6'9 to 6'7. So an advantage in that regard. I just think Hickey is more mobile in the rock. I just think he's better in terms of going multiple directions. Meanwhile, if you're thinking about someone who might be able to fill that same role of good things happening when he touches the ball, I've definitely seen that out of Adam Trelor these first couple rounds. Not, you know, the fastest start for him, but... The fact that he is not the main focus in the midfield, whereas he seemed to be that for times at Collingwood, has definitely allowed him to kind of play under the radar in a way that I didn't really foresee, even with Bontempelli's status. 
from a ranking point standpoint, he was the top guy for the Bulldogs last week with 32 disposals, a goal, seven marks and four tackles. But I think it was a pretty quiet performance for him, which has kind of been the standard other than that game against Collingwood last year. It's not like he's really been as much in the spotlight. If he's even really in that light again, just in the you know greater media depiction of the dogs, Bonapelli is the team. I really think this is going to be Bonapelli's week. Just like Lockie Neal gave us a reminder the other day of what he is, I think it's Bonapelli's time to do the same and show why he's one of the best players in the sport. All right, moving on, we've got interesting schedule this week with two Friday night matchups. I'm not sure if some of that was done with knowledge of when the AFLW finals are going to be, or perhaps when we thought that they were going to be initially before one of the qualifying finals was pushed back a week because of COVID problems for Collingwood, who ended up losing to the Brisbane Lions anyway. Brisbane outkicked them mightily. So we've got a Friday double, which is going to be a little bit out of the ordinary, And it starts off with Melbourne and Essendon at the MCG. That's going to be April 1st. If you're on the West Coast of the United States, 1.20 a.m. If you're on the East Coast, 4.20 a.m. Nice. And if you're actually in Melbourne, 7.20 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time. Bombers come in at 0-2, though they didn't play that poorly last week, at least comparatively. Demons come in at 2-0 despite a somewhat unspectacular performance against the Gold Coast Suns where they took care of business but didn't really do anything spectacular or go on a massive run. I think their biggest run was four goals in a row. They played once last year. It was at the G, though it was an Essendon home game. It was a game the Demons ended up winning by 11. Speaking of the Suns-Ds game, there was an article that came out on Fox Sports that focused on the expected score statistic and that's a stat that you know i don't really value all that much except to just show you know where teams fall in terms of below and above average is not to me an indication of how well they played however it looks like from the expected goals at least one of the algorithms says that gold coast should have won by a couple i think some of the fourth quarter play could have altered that where melbourne was content to sit on the lead and still could have won by more had they kicked more accurately however i also think that they definitely did have some finishing issues it depends on when you see them having taken their foot off the gas a bit i think just like marcus bonimpelli had a chance to really shine i think the same opportunity is going to be there for max gone this week I don't think he goes three weeks in a row without a big performance, even as tremendous as Luke Jackson has been, as unnecessary as it's been for Big Maxi to really take over. I think he's going to just naturally at some point he's going to dominate because he's that good. And I think this is going to be the game where he does that. Gaw is going to be front and center along with Luke Jackson against Sam Draper in the Ruck. Although Jackson really ended up taking that spotlight in the ruck last round against Jared Witts, even though Witts won the hitouts, I really think Jackson played the best out of the rucks overall. Meanwhile, a big injury looms over Essendon, not just for this round, but for potentially months in Zach Merritt's syndesmosis injury that he copped last week. Nick Cox, however, has a chance of being back. He's going to be tested on that ankle. And in Merritt's place, Essendon's top draft selection from this past year, Ben Hobbs, may make his debut. No word yet on Dylan Scheel. He was a late out against the Lions. 
Nick Martin should be back from COVID protocols. I know everyone calls him health and safety because that's what the NBA did and then everyone followed. It's just kind of the blind leading the blind there. But I'm curious to see, do the Bombers have a high enough ceiling to win a game like this? And I think that's their biggest issue. Their biggest hindrance is, unlike some of the kind of fringe final contender teams, I don't think their ceiling is that high. Aside from a win over the Bulldogs last year and a blowout over the Giants, they were not a team that had success against other finals teams last year. So I think, again, they've got a lower ceiling, at least for the time being. I still think big picture they're going to be fine. I said from the start, though, this year was going to be a lot of sophomore slumps, and it seems like it's looking that way so far. But one area in which they could be a lot better would be in their captain, Dyson Heppel, who was all but invisible against both Brisbane and Geelong. I said it our last episode, and I'll say it again. Another bad outing for him, and he really ought to be sat down to send a message. Ben Rutten can't have it both ways. He can't have someone continuing to bring down the side and then continue to throw him out there when results have shown that they're a hindrance. Yes, he's the captain, but you can have someone else take on that role for that game. The general nature of my comments on Dyson Heppel also apply to Devin Smith, who had just four disposals against Brisbane after 17 versus Geelong. Ben Rutten is supporting him. He says he's an experienced player now, and we know what he can do, but we also need him to get back to his best as quick as he can. So not a ringing endorsement, but nonetheless, he's given him the green light to play. Although, if the Bombers drop to 0-3, I'm wondering if Truck's steadfast support for his veterans will change. One thing that I'm really interested to see is how the Demons plan to handle Nick Martin, assuming he's playing If we're assuming no further COVID stuff or injuries, I'm interested to see the chemistry between Martin, Peter Wright, and Matt Guelphie. I think it was really interesting the way Guelphie kind of acted to set the other guys up in the first couple of rounds. And I'm curious to see if there's going to be any sort of exchanging of roles as defenses kind of evolve to counter what the Bombers are doing. Definitely potential for the absences of Jake Lever and Christian Salem to be felt back there, though Stephen May should anchor things, and Jake Bowie has been spectacular these first couple rounds. Melbourne favored by 24 and a half. I think some of that probably comes with the Zach Merritt injury news. We're recording this on Sunday night, U.S. time, technically early Monday morning, so we've got a ways to go with ins and outs and things like that, but the initial line, at least, is 24 and a half point favorites for Melbourne. I think that's maybe a little much, but... Looking at what Essendon is lacking in terms of merit, and then also remembering that they also have Anthony McDonald, Tiffany Woody still on the sidelines, as well as Harry Jones a ways away, is a reminder that the team that they're trotting out is a far cry despite the youngster Martin from what they had when they stayed with Melbourne last year, round 15. Moving on to the second Friday night game, which is strange to say, should be a lot of fun, though. It is Showdown 51, the 51st Adelaide Showdown. This one is a home game for the Crows. It'll get underway an hour after Melbourne and Essendon get started. So on the West Coast of the United States, 2.20 in the morning. East Coast, 5.20 in the morning. In South Australia, it'll be 7.50 p.m., and over in Melbourne, it'll be 30 minutes later at 8.20. I don't think anyone expected both teams to enter this at 0-2, but coming off a blowout loss to Hawthorne last week, 
Port Adelaide's going to have to regroup. As I mentioned, when we gave them a score on the RU Screwdometer, I gave them a four, but it would skyrocket should they lose this week. So a lot of attention is going to be on how they respond. They are still somewhat shorthanded, missing Alir Alir most notably. Charlie Dixon's status as of now remains uncertain. Trent McKenzie has not had an easy go of things, and I wouldn't be shocked if he were on the sideline this week. Meanwhile, for the Crows, Rory Sloan's status is to be seen with his adductor injury and a groin scan still coming at the time of this recording. The other big question for the Crows in terms of their list is, will Riley Philthorpe please be back in the lineup? As we said before, we didn't understand why he was taken out to begin with, and the results against Collingwood make it look like we knew what we were talking about here, despite having the outsider perspective. Lachlan Gallant had a couple moments, but Darcy Moore more than handled him most of the time, and even though Moore is excellent, he definitely would have had his hands a good deal fuller with Phil Thorpe to contend with instead. Considering how bad things went for Port Adelaide last week, really nowhere to go but up for most of them. The only one who really stood out positively was Sam Powell Pepper. It's an opportunity to bounce back, especially for Xavier Dersma, who was just atrocious last week. I will say I think Carl Amon and Ollie Wines had quieter good games just in terms of possession, but I think that a lot of those ended up being empty or garbage time. The stats liked them, but the eye test said that Sam Powell Pepper was clearly their best. Also waiting for Todd Marshall and Jeremy Finlayson to prove themselves. If Dixon remains out, it's a chance for Mitch Georgiatis to show that his success to this point in his young career hasn't just been from leaning on Dixon. The overall series is 26-24 to in favor of Port Adelaide. They've won the last four meetings. These teams played twice last year. They play twice just about every year. They met in round eight where the power served as the home team. They won that one 87-38. to And they met again in round 21, escaping with a 55-51 win in a game that somehow completely escapes my memory. I have little to no recollection of this one at all. But the Crows actually led most of the way. If it wasn't for Alir Alir's 16 interceptions, maybe they would have pulled off another upset in their impressive string to go with those wins over the Cats and Demons. And notably, that was an Adelaide home crowd behind them, just like we will have this round. Port Adelaide's home showdown will be the closing round of the season, round 23. And there will be less drama, hopefully, surrounding the Crows than there was last time they met, because that was right in the immediate aftermath of the whole Taylor Walker incident. He remains on the sideline. This is Walker's last round before he's able to return, and wouldn't be shocked if he's put in right away, haven't heard any qualms about his training and his fitness. But because he's out, it's an opportunity for the young guns to do their thing again. Rochelle, Jimmy Rowe again. For Darcy Fogarty to fill in that long, accurate kick role that Tex has often found himself in. I think this might also be a make-or-break game for Elliot Himmelberg. We've both been pretty critical of his performances so far, and you wonder if Matthew Nix is getting towards the end of his spring with him. Additionally, for the Crows, somehow Tom Duday has escaped our podcast mention for the past little bit. Is it because we can't pronounce his name? Is it because he's a quiet contributor? It's probably both. Port Adelaide is favored by 20 and a half, which seems a little low maybe, but I think now that we've discussed it, probably pretty appropriate. See how it shifts with things like Rory Sloan's status and Charlie Dixon's status. 
This is Benjamin from the future, and I have breaking news from Alberton. Not only is Charlie Dixon out of Showdown 51, he's out for another month with a setback in the form of bone bruising in his injured ankle. Additionally, Robbie Gray has been placed in COVID protocols, so that's two major weapons out for the power that get me thinking the Crows might just pull this off. Rory Sloan is out for Adelaide, sidelined by his adductor tightness, but Rory Laird has been cleared to play. Now back to the original recording as we transition to the next game. Shifting into the Saturday slate, or for us in America, late Friday into early Saturday morning, we've got three games on tap. The first of which is a surprisingly intriguing expansion extravaganza between the Greater Western Sydney Giants and the Gold Coast Suns at Giants Stadium. This game was originally scheduled to begin a few hours earlier, but because of the changes in the AFL women's schedule to avoid conflicting with the preliminary finals, it was pushed back. So it's now 10.35 p.m. Pacific on April 1st, 1.35 a.m. Eastern the morning of April 2nd, and it's a 4.35 p.m. local bounce at the showground. That's also beneficial for me because hopefully I'll be able to get back to my friend's place by then. For those of you that don't know, I'm going to be watching this upcoming round from Arizona. going to go down to watch some spring training baseball. For those of you that are unfamiliar, the baseball preseason spring training is a really fun vacation experience, tourist experience. Western teams train in Arizona. The Eastern teams train in Florida. And I will be down there for about six days. I love it down there, and I will be still able to keep up and watch footy, though there may be a few moments in some of the earlier games on the Saturday and Sunday slate that I don't quite see live. But I'll get my fill, have all the action, and I'll still be within the Pacific time zone, most importantly. The Giants are coming in at 0-2, having lost Sydney Derby 23 to open the season and then getting blown off the G by Richmond. While the Suns come in at a 1-1 that I consider somewhat impressive with how they were able to stick with the Ds. Looking at the records, I realized it fits nicely. You've got six teams at 2-0, six at 1-1, and six at 0-2. Now, the Giants are one of four teams that played in the finals last year to start at 0-2. I'm just curious to see how this matchup goes because I was so disappointed in how the Giants played against Richmond. First off, I'm curious how Leon Cameron chooses to adjust his roster. There's obviously the question of how do they handle Phil Davis's absence and how do they choose to utilize Tom Green? Because it seemed like they played a lot better with him playing more forward instead of playing around the center circle. Again, I think that Leon Cameron is a smart enough coach to know that that was a mistake and not do it again. However, there's no doubt he's got a lineup predicament on his hands. Some good news first, though, in Braden Proust finally getting ready to make his club debut after injury and suspension. He should be able to lighten Matt Flynn's load in the ruck, and maybe that'll help translate to greater success against Jared Witz, who excelled for the Suns in round two. The ruck battle will be massive with both teams' midfield capabilities, especially the Suns, and the fast-paced opportunities that come out of there could dictate the result. But the bad news for the Giants clearly outweighs the good with a trio of big outs. Phil Davis tore his hamstring making a tackle against Noah Balta last round. He's out up to three months. Daniel Lloyd broke his forearm. He's out eight to ten weeks. And Jacob Hopper has a knee injury that's compromising his first half of the season. 
That knee injury was the reason for his omission round two at Richmond, and now we know the full extent of that. And that all complicates the fact that the Giants definitely have something to prove, not just considering their record, but also considering that they lost to the Suns last year back in round 17. They played at Mars Stadium. It was moved from the showground because of lockdowns. They were moved to the Central Highlands and Gold Coast came home by a point with more accurate kicking. It looked at the time, looking back to the 21 season, like that was it for GWS's final hopes. Then they managed to surge and sneak their way in and actually win their elimination final. One question for the Suns, what's up with Isaac Rankin? Because we still don't know what the injury was that held him out of the game against Melbourne. With the context that he wasn't playing, I think that left people more impressed with their showing against the Demons. I think the only other team that drew such positive reviews in the losing effort was the Eagles, and obviously theirs came in a completely different context. What happened with the Suns was more conventional, where they played a good game against a better team. And unlike last year... They have Matt Rowell going into this one. So even more pressing for the Giants to say, hey, we can hang with this team. We can hang with one of the best midfield tandems in the competition because Tuke Miller has also been magnificent again, and I think he's well on his way to another jacket. I'm really curious to see what game plan the Giants adapt, whether they try to compensate for their defensive struggles by continuing to pull guys back, trying to the plan puts a pretty lousy defense, or if they decide to just fight fire with fire and try to outscore teams. I really like what they have up front. I think their best bet may simply be to be as aggressive as possible, try to run teams off the field, and if you can score 100 while also conceding 100, they'll probably like their chances in that situation better than most teams. I think just a super up-tempo, high-scoring game can really work to their advantage, and that's the style that I'd like to see them employ. What do you think? I don't think that's a bad idea either. I just don't think that Sam Taylor and Connor Idol alone are going to be able to hold back what the Suns have emerging in their forward line and what they already have established in the midfield and the ruck. Stephen Canelio, the eyebrow man himself, can be a great vessel through which they can get the spark for an up-tempo offense. He was definitely a bright spot despite their massive difficulties and massive defeat at the hands of Richmond. And he's definitely shown that he's getting back to the player that he can be. The combination of Canelio, Green, and Taranto when they're all clicking can go against the best of them. And I'd love to see that against Raul, Miller, and hopefully Rankin. I think that would be a lot of fun. And I think from there, it would mean two teams with similar strengths. I think the Giants would have the slide edge in the forward lines. And I think the Suns would have a bit of an advantage defensively. And I think it would be just a really compelling matchup to watch unfold. I think this is also the sort of game where coaching could really come into question. You've mentioned before that this could be a make or break year for Stuart Dew. I think how he and his staff handle a matchup like this, a game that could go either way, I think is really going to be a great benchmark of their ability as a coaching staff. Looking at the line, Greater Western Sydney by... 13 and a half? I am not sure about this at all, considering the matchups that we saw in round two, as well as just how important Phil Davis has been to them and the fact that he's out for not a short term. This is one where I think you might be able to break out your jersey persona. I'm going to wait on Isaac Rankin's status. I also think the logic might be there's no way the Giants could play worse than they did against Richmond. 
the only reason they even hung around in the first quarter was because Richmond wasn't kicking accurately. And then things really fell apart after that. The fifth game of the round, the halfway point at the MCG Saturday night, it'll technically be into Saturday morning all across the United States, unless you're in Alaska or Hawaii. And if you're listening from Alaska or Hawaii, that's really cool. Please let us know. Let us know where you're listening from. We'd love to know where you're tuning in from. Anchor does allow us to see some basic metrics. It looks like about 70 or so percent of our listeners are Australian and most of the other 30 percent are American. An occasional French listener, it seems. Hello. Bonjour. Maybe also a listener in Canada, but we're curious to get more specifics. You know, tell us where you're listening from, especially if it's something interesting. You know, if you're listening in the car, driving somewhere. Anyway, Saturday night, Saturday morning in the U.S., Collingwood hosting Geelong at the MCG. This one gets underway, 1.25 a.m. Pacific time, 4.25 a.m. Eastern time, and locally in Melbourne, 7.25 p.m. These teams played once in 2021, and it sucked. It was a sickos strike skirmish, accented by the fact that there was no crowd, so it just made everything all the more awkward when the teams simply could not kick. They combined for 14 goals and twice as many behinds. Hollywood 615-51 defeated by Geelong 813-61 in honestly one of the least enjoyable matches of that entire season. Normally after a win, I'm happy to sing the club song. After that one, I was just happy it was over. Collingwood kicked no goals and seven behinds for the first half. The Cats led by 31 at the half, not by any accomplishment of their own, but because Collingwood just sucked. Meanwhile, this year, Frank McRae has got the Pies off to a 2-0 start. There's a whole lot of intrigue all over the lineup there with some younger players emerging, namely the Daycoss brothers, as well as just things meshing well all over the lineup. Geelong comes in at 1-1 between their trouncing of Essendon and falling to Sydney at the SCG last Friday. On their report card for the week, Fox Footy gave the Cats an incredibly generous C+. I thought they deserved more like a D plus or even a D. I think outside of Brad Close and I guess Tom Atkins, there was really nothing to be positive about. I was surprised they gave them such a high grade. I totally disagreed with it, whereas most of their others, I think they were within maybe one or two spots, you know, maybe giving a plus instead of an even grade or a minus. But to give them a C plus was wildly generous. I would say, first off, you can expect a few of their pieces to be better this week. I don't think there's any doubt that it should be a better performance for Jeremy Cameron and Tom Hawkins. I feel so confident in saying this that I'm not worried about jinxing it. So circle back on this when we're recording a week from now and we'll see what happens. Looking at their defensive unit, you would expect also for Jake Kolajashny to bounce back as well as potentially seeing Mark O'Connor in a mix of things, he would be a very welcome addition. O'Connor in the last couple of years had really been a nice spot defensively. He had really been the one-on-one shutdown matchup guy, whereas Tom Stewart was able to roam and get his intercept marks kind of in more of a zone defense format. So getting O'Connor back would help. In fact, I believe that if O'Connor's out there instead of Jack Henry, who's by all means a good player, just not the same level of shutdown defender that O'Connor is, there's a good chance Buddy Franklin hasn't kicked his thousandth goal yet. We're going to have the matchup between the two Henry brothers. That should be a lot of fun. Ollie Henry's had goal of the week candidates both weeks so far. 
However, Bo McCreary, who kicked a couple goals against Adelaide and was really fun to watch at forward, will be out this round and the next with a hip complaint. Additionally, we'll have to wait to see Nathan Kruger play against his former side, as he injured his shoulder and will be out at least four weeks. If Mason Cox is able to go, that spot where he could slot in. If you'll call in round one, Cox got a bump that maybe roughed him up a little bit. Obviously a chance for Darcy Cameron to also factor into the 22 after being the rare ruck sub this past week and getting time after Kruger came in and kicking a goal in that time. This is also Braden Maynard's first appearance of the season after his oh-so-shocking two-game suspension from the Amy Community Series. He was not so lucky to be with Amy. Most importantly this week is the potential return of Brian Myers, who had two goals and 18 disposals in a VFL performance over the weekend. Brian Harambe is in here, and you probably just heard him descending from his perch on the windowsill, and I wonder if he heard his first name and thought, oh wait, do you need me? And now Ethan's hoping that Brian will come up onto the bed and just sit down. We'll see if he ends up needing to be let out. This is the start of the season where Brian Myers changes football. It's a couple weeks delayed. He should be back and ready to go this week. This is when he starts to change football. He is going to be the greatest player of all time, just like the number 23 is forever associated with Michael Jordan and LeBron James, and the number 99 is associated with Wayne Gretzky. The number 32 will be forever associated with Brian Myers. It is going to begin this week. It is going to be beautiful. If you remember a couple of his four-goal performances against North Melbourne in past years, this is what we're in for every week. In fact, that's just going to be a little watered-down version of what it really is. He's coming for you. In before he's omitted. There's no way he's getting omitted. It would just be a matter of health. The coaches clearly like him. Also curious to see if Jonathan Segler would be ready to go and see how else the Cats choose to adjust the lineup if needed. In terms of a player who will no doubt be in the lineup, Will Patrick Dangerfield be able to bounce back after a quiet affair in Sydney where kind of got swallowed up by the energy of the Swans midfield and forward group? I feel much more confident in Hawkins and Cameron bouncing back than I am in Dangerfield. The odds of Hawkins and Cameron combining to kick 0-5 for a second straight week are almost zero. I think Dangerfield will turn in a better performance, but will it be quite as dominant as he was against Essendon? I'm not sure. I'd also like to see more out of Brendan Parfit because against Essendon, he looked great. I think this is a great chance for him. And I'm curious to see what the Cats do against Patrick Lipinski. This will be by far the best competition he's faced so far. It'll be the best competition Collingwood's faced so far altogether. And I'm just curious how this matchup plays out. The line has Geelong as a 15 and a half point favorite, which I think is a little bit high. I probably would have said it more at 12 and a half. I realistically think this is a game the Cats should win, but may have to squeak out at the end. I think this should be a really good contest, I would assume, considering the start time and that it's such a high-profile game. By far the most intriguing of the Saturday matchups, this should be a national broadcast on 7. And I'm just really excited to see how this one plays out. It's going to be really an opportunity for Collingwood. None of the pressure is on the Pies. The pressure is going to be on the Cats. Hollywood has nothing to lose. They're 2-0. They have a chance to prove something against a top four contender, whereas the Cats kind of need to make up for last week's performance. The only thing that I'm not looking forward to as part of this is potentially having trouble differentiating the teams, though. 
Collingwood wearing black shorts will definitely help in that regard. While Ethan is focusing on Collingwood and Geelong, after the first quarter of that one, my eyes will be turned toward Brisbane and North Melbourne because they're kicking off at the top of the next hour at the GABA, 2 a.m. Pacific on Saturday, April 2nd, 5 a.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. local time in Queensland, 8 p.m. in Victoria, New South Wales, Tasmania. The Lions have started a not super convincing 2-0. No doubt it appears that they deserve that mark, but they have started slow in both contests thus far. And even with Lockie Neal's massive performance, they only came home by 22 against Essendon. North Melbourne's one win is not super convincing either. Just 15 points against a depleted West Coast Eagles side. And they're going to be without two big role players in the midfield. Luke Davies-Uniak, who is in concussion protocol following a big but clean Willie Rioli tackle. And Taron Thomas, who got a kick to the rib while trying to smother Luke Foley in the second quarter. He didn't crack a rib, but... He didn't crack a rib, but he had extensive internal bruising, enough that kept him in the hospital for two nights. And he is likely to be out for up to two months. It really means guys like Hugh Greenwood and Todd Goldstein are going to have to absolutely dominate for the ruse if they want to even stay competitive in this. I did like how Nick Larkey played last week with his six-goal performance. And I'm curious to see what we get out of Jason Horn Francis as he gets a real test. I'm also interested to see, does Jaden Stevenson find his way back into the lineup? I think it was really surprising for him to be omitted after just one bad performance as a 23-year-old. I think there's a real chance for him to slot back in and bounce back. Considering Davy Zuniak's absence, I would assume that Stevenson will get the call from David Noble for sure. I don't think anyone's expecting North to win this game. I think people would be surprised if they even keep it close. That said, I don't think people were expecting Hawthorne to beat Port and they didn't just win. They more than doubled them up. So maybe we don't know as much as we think we know about these teams this early in the season. But I think this is the chance for the Lions to come out with their first really, truly convincing performance because they did not look great for most of the Essendon game and they looked really lousy against Port Adelaide for the most part. I'm continuing to look for more out of Zach Bailey. Yes, he did have two goals, but one of those was on a clanger of clangers from James Stewart. Looking toward the forward lines, I'm waiting for Charlie Cameron to really emerge. He has been quiet through two rounds, and I want to see him revving the motorcycle. And also, I'm hoping that Cam Rayner is able to build off his first goal since his ACL tear. That was a great moment, and I wish he had been able to do it. At the GABA, if he gets one this round, I think the place will erupt for him. Brisbane is favored by 40 and a half. That's like an Alabama football sort of spread. The real reason I'm sad that I'm not going to really be watching as much of this one live is because, of course, you'll be graced by the presence of the great three-time premiership player Alistair Lynch as the boundary commentator. We assume. There's no reason why he wouldn't be there, regardless of whether or not it's actually a Fox footy game because even when the Lions were on seven in round one, he was there for some quarter and half time insights. But as we said, the striped skirmish between Collingwood and Geelong has every reason to be the seven game. So yeah, should get some lynchy action throughout the night there. Brian update. He did come up on the bed where I'm sitting and he is now sleeping next to me. Just thought you ought to know. 
Ole. Moving on to Sunday. First off, a little bit of a time change beginning on Sunday, as that'll be the end of daylight saving time in Australia, which seems a little early compared to when we end daylight saving time. American daylight saving time goes like second Sunday of March to the first Sunday of November. Yeah, so it ends up being more than half the year, about seven months to five months with standard time. Anyway, this one will be Carlton facing Hawthorne at the MCG. Both teams are 2-0 under new coaches. This one starts at 1.10 on Sunday, local Melbourne time. That corresponds with 8.10 p.m. on the West Coast of the United States and 11.10 p.m. on the East Coast. These teams met once last year, round 10 at the MCG. Carlton won that one by 23 When schedules first came out, if you told me that I was going to be at spring training and not able to watch most of this one live, I'll probably go back and watch it from the start and try to avoid spoilers instead of just catch the tail end of it live. But I wouldn't have thought this was a game that I'd be disappointed to miss live. This was such a blah matchup on paper. And yet here we are. Both teams are 2-0 and and they're both playing really exciting styles and contrasting styles in some respects with the speed that Carlton has pretty much with every attack coming from the midfield of Patrick Cripps and potentially having Sam Walsh and Adam Chera together. Now that hasn't happened before and that could be really scary. And then going forward through Cripps, Harry Mackay, you know, not the speediest, but has enough speed to complement Patrick Cripps and the others going forward with him. Meanwhile, Hawthorne has really had a counterattack predicated style and Thankfully for the Hawks, Chad Wingard appears set to play despite a hamstring issue during their game last round. And he, Jack Gunston, and Mitch Lewis should together have the opportunity to continue their hot starts. With Hawthorne trying to move in the counterattack, I'm curious to see if Oscar McDonald can stay on his man. He struggled with that some in round one against Richmond. He did a much better job of it against the Bulldogs. And I'm curious to see what he follows up with. I think you can usually count on Mitch McGovern to be a solid defender. Adam Saad's pretty reliable as well. Jacob Wiedering's done a nice job. When you get McDonald going defensively, I think that's really the piece that completes the puzzle for the Blues, where they won't just have to outscore teams. I'm curious to see if Hawthorne changes up their game plan some to try to adapt. As teams start to see more of Carlton and start to understand more of what they're throwing at you, I'm curious to see how coaches adapt. And for such a young coach like Sam Mitchell, one who doesn't have a ton of experience with his system super drilled into his guys yet, I think that opens up more room for opportunity for creativity and flexibility. And I'm excited to see what he and his staff choose to implement ahead of this game. I had this question last week, and I'll say it again because it's just as applicable here, if not more with the speed that Carlton has and what they have going forward with names like Kernow, Mackay, Silvani, Matthew Owies, Zach Fisher. It should be pronounced Owies because he gives the other team a bunch of Owies by scoring goals. That is, if defenders like Chanquot Jaff can't get to him. And yeah, that's the question. Is Jaff going to be as much of a runner throughout the Oval, especially in the back half, as he was these first two rounds? Or... Is he going to be more locked into a certain space or a certain man targets with just how fast Carlton is able to be? There's potential for it to go both ways. 
I wouldn't be shocked if Sam Mitchell just says, CJ, go ahead because this is going to be a fast-paced game and you're the type of guy that can help us get that speed that might be able to catch Carlson off guard going back. I'm of the belief that Jaff is a player who's so unique and so difficult to stop that regardless of the matchup, he should be allowed to do his own thing. And I hope Sam Mitchell sees it the same way, not just because I think it benefits the Hawks tactically, but because when CK's doing his thing, he's super fun to watch. And just from an entertainment standpoint, I'm rooting for him to never be reeled in. I hope the same. And I'm looking forward to a fast-paced contest, maybe not the cleanest, but certainly exciting. Also hoping for James Warple to turn in his first strong game of the year. He's been pretty quiet so far, and considering he's a personal friend of Brian Myers, I have no choice but to support him adamantly. Carlson are favored by 14.5, despite what the Hawks did against Port last week. I'm of the belief that Port just really shat the bed in nearly all aspects, but I would not be super keen on betting on this one. You feel the same, Ethan? See, I think Carlton could win this one by something in the 20s. So maybe if you think Carlton's favored by too much and I think they're favored by not enough, maybe that means the odds makers did it just right. I did not see an over-under yet for this game. I didn't see an over-under for any game, but I would say this has all the makings of a really high-scoring contest, at least 200 combined points, unless Hawthorne decides... Our only hope to win this game is by really slowing this thing down and parking the bus, in which case it would probably come nowhere near that 200. But I think with the styles these teams have shown so far, it should be a higher scoring game. It's a damn shame that you won't be able to catch the start of this one. And it's a damn shame for all of Australia and all footy lovers that Carlton and Hawthorne don't have the entire nearly three hour window all to themselves because... Starting 130 minutes later, a few miles away at Marvel Stadium, St. Kilda will be taking on Richmond. That is oh no, we can't play at Marvel Stadium! Hey, it's an away game. There's really no complaining here. Yes, there is. They can always complain about Marvel Stadium. Okay, Gemma. That is a 10.20 p.m. kick in the Pacific time zone on Saturday, April 2nd, 1.20 a.m. Sunday the 3rd in the East, and locally, that's a 3.20 p.m. bounce, you know, your typical later afternoon window. Both teams come in one and one after disappointing round ones and more than bounce backs in round two, especially in terms of the Tigers just kind of wiping the sod with Greater Western Sydney. I was super impressed with St. Kilda. Like I've said, I've been really hard on them so far. I was really impressed with... Their team full of jacks and just their overall performance to compensate for lack of speed against Fremantle by being the more physical team, being the stronger team, controlling the flow of play, and never really letting the Dockers' small forwards give them trouble. These teams met twice last year. Both times, the home team completely shit the bed, so maybe that's not a good omen for St. Kilda. When the Saints hosted a Marvel in round five, Richmond beat them by 86. Hey, we can't play at Marvel. Oh, wait, we won. They still aren't going to be happy to play there. They met again in round 15, and the Tigers played probably their worst game of the Damian Hardwick era, losing 62-22. to The Tigers kicked 2-10, and it was fitting. It was just an atrocious performance that deserved being booed off the field. It was, it was just 
And they had Dusty with two kidneys for that. Speaking of Dustin Martin, according to Sam McClure, he may currently be questioning his future in football altogether. We'll see how long he's out or if he suddenly makes an appearance or what's going on. I don't know. My guess with this past week is that Hardwick knew he wasn't going to play, but wanted to kind of keep the Giants from catching on until the last possible moment. That's at least my guess. I don't know if that's actually true. Nonetheless, Richmond played a great game, and it was super compelling to watch because for years, you knew what the Tigers were going to give you, you knew who their best players would be, you knew what the recipe would be, and they looked like a completely new team because they had so many unfamiliar pieces. I was super impressed with Hugo Ralph Smith and hope he turns in another good performance because he's a very entertaining player to watch. Plus, you know, if you're explaining to an American who's never heard of the sport what goes on, you can tell him there's a guy named Hugo Ralph Smith with a cool mullet. And who already appears to be a damn good runner and a good long kick. That's a guy that could definitely reel a new fan in. One thing that interests me for Richmond is how many possessions Jaden Short and Nathan Broad racked up last week and how few of those were contested. Short had 33 disposals and only four contested possessions. Broad had 22 and three, both well over 80% in disposal efficiency. I'm curious to see if that's something the Saints aren't going to be so content with letting happen, or if it's something where they understand and think, all right, their possessions aren't high-impact ones. We'll let them do their thing deep in their own end, and then when it gets into that next layer of guys, that's where we do our work. I think matchup-wise, this is a game that could really work well for St. Kilda because Richmond, you don't think of blistering speed when you see them. You think of a team that kind of runs out to the boundary, stretches teams, but I don't think they're the sort of team with the sort of breakaway speed over the course of a game, aside from a couple random spots here or there, that give a team like St. Kilda, a slower team, so much trouble. I mean, I expect Shea Bolton to burst out of the crowd to kick one or two like that, but aside from him, that seems to be spot on. One injury issue for the Saints is that there's no timetable on Dan Hanabry after a training injury last Saturday morning, a right calf issue. Good news, however, is that Patty Ryder had a good showing for Sandringham in the VFL and should figure in this week. He had 26 hitouts, 11 disposals, six marks, and a goal. That was probably the best thing that St. Kilda fans could take away from that contest against Casey because they got shellacked. The line for this one currently has Richmond at four and a half. I think that could have to do with Ryder's possible return, could have to do with Hanaberry's absence, could have to do with Dustin Martin's status being up in the air. But if it stays as is, I'd be inclined to lean Richmond. But I don't know, this is a tricky one. The way the Saints played, not just winning, but playing a pretty dominant game and being the better team for all but a few minutes in the fourth quarter, despite not being able to kick straight in the first half. I'm believing in the Saints much more than I did before. I still think they match up really poorly against faster teams, but I think Richmond's strengths are similar to some of theirs, so I think this could be an opportunity for the Saints. I'm really curious to see how this one plays out. This could be one of those games that could go either way. I would expect it to be closer than either of the games they had last year, because both meetings last year were so one-sided. I think this should be far more compelling. Then there's the round three finale. Once again, it's on the West Coast because for some reason they don't want to give them Saturdays or any other time thus far but the Sunday nights. I think some of that might also be from the standpoint of when opponents have to travel out there, although in this case, 
Nobody really has to travel to get there because it's the Western Derby. Western Derby number 54. This is the Eagles home derby for 2022. West Coast leads the series overall 32 to 21. This one will bounce at 1.20 a.m. Pacific on Sunday, April 3rd, 4.20 a.m. Eastern. Nice. Yeah, we're kind of over that. Oh, God. 4.20 p.m. Australian Western Standard Time. Also nice. And with Australia back on Standard Time, that's a 6.20 p.m. start in the Eastern States. In the two meetings in 2021, the first one, all of a sudden, Mark McGowan got power hungry the day before the game and decided no fans for the Eagles' home leg, which they ended up winning by 59. Fremantle got the better of the Eagles in round 22, the Dockers' home leg by 15. That ended an 11-game losing streak in the Western Derby for Frio. Frio's home game this year, Western Derby 55, will once again be in round 22. And hopefully that too will have a full crowd because the energy was amazing for that round 22 Western Derby. Even as an Eagles fan, I can appreciate it, especially considering the way Caleb Sarong ended up putting the dagger in that with the goal of the year. Sarong, for the record, is coming off a dreadful performance last week against St. Kilda. A lot of guys for the Dockers who need to bounce back. One thing I do want to clarify, if you've just been listening to us and hearing us constantly trash Mark McGowan, we understand the idea of being prudent with COVID stuff, but considering the vaccination rates in Western Australia and in Australia altogether, this is to the point of being ridiculous. People have done their part. People have been responsible. It's time to let people live. It's time to open up stadiums, let fans pack the place and go nuts. You've got a beautiful stadium. You've got two teams with great support. The Frio fans were out in full force, or at least as full as they were allowed to be, last week against St. Kilda. Only a couple of empty pockets of seats altogether way up in the upper level. And even though the team laid an egg, it was a fun environment. It's cool to see the Dockers have that support when you think of them as the second team in the market. So... Or at least that's what we think of it, just because that's how it was when we started off. Also by membership numbers and by support altogether, although I was impressed by the turnout of Frio fans at the Adelaide Oval in round one. And that was when Frio came through by a point on that Heath Chapman save that I am still thinking about quite frequently when it comes to just whenever the Dockers come up in my mind. He thinks about it in the bathtub. You can picture it, you know... Lights dimmed, candles, bubbles, glass of wine, the whole deal. And he's sitting there thinking ever so serenely about Heath Chapman saving that ball on the goal line. Yes, of course. And when I go to sleep at night, I have my oversized elongated nightcap with the puffball at the end. No, not Mitch Wallace. That's fluffball. I blow out the candle at my bedside and you can hear me snoring like, me, 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 me. And with every exhale, the little feather on my mouth gets lofted into the air and gently floats back down. That is how all Americans sleep, in fact. Every single one. All 340 million plus. Every single American sleeps just like that. We all snore and then go, me, 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 me. If anyone gets this reference, I'd be amazed. So Frio... Won that and then fell apart in the second half, especially on the scoreboard, although St. Kilda was the better team throughout in their round two matchup. There was that stretch in the fourth quarter where the Dockers seemed to be 
mounting momentum. And then after they finally cut it to 10, inexplicably stopped. Again, I was very confused by Justin Longmuir's coaching in that game. Meanwhile, I couldn't be more complimentary whether as an Eagles barracker or as just an impartial spectator when it comes to how Adam Simpson and company handled the Eagles situation against North Melbourne this past round. 14 changes, including one that happened pretty much at bounce time. And yet, despite all the top-ups and all the tumult of the week, they stayed close the whole way. And yes, it's North Melbourne, but still more than admirable in defeat. Now, at the time of recording, we have no idea who's going to be able to come out of the protocols, but the list is a massive one and a very, very relevant one. Players like Nick Nainui, Josh Kennedy, Jack Redden, and that's just three of them. Now, Andrew Gaff, his injury is not COVID-related, and so that's a completely different animal. And Jackson Nelson and Braden Ainsworth both had knee issues on-site at Marvel Stadium. But Adam Simpson says neither of those appear to be structural issues. Meanwhile, for Fremantle, there are some potential structural issues, not just with Nat Fife being out long-term, not just with Matt Tapperner's return in doubt, he might be out for another round, if not more, but also that Sean Darcy cannot stay healthy. His ankle issue caused him to be subbed out, and Michael Walters is also in doubt with a wrist injury. Walters didn't yield much, especially in the second half, but I'm wondering how much of that is because of the injury. I still think there are opportunities for Fremantle here if they can make up for those midfield absences enough to get the ball to their forwards because their forwards, A, didn't play well against St. Kilda, and B, hardly had any opportunities because their midfield performance sucked. If you can get those guys some few chances, whether that be Rory Lobb, Sam Switkowski, Caleb Sarong, Darcy Tucker... I think there are opportunities there where I think this Fremantle forward group is super underrated. I just think they're coming off a lousy game, and it was one where they didn't get the ball much to begin with. Also, if you are part of the Frio faithful, I know that you're hoping that Michael Frederick is not played nearly as forward as he was because that was not his spot at all. He is a forward playing mid. He is not a heavily marking forward. And that might have been the most head-scratching thing for me when it came to Justin Longmuir's strategy for St. Kilda. I really don't know what to say regarding the Eagles because at this time, there are still so many question marks as to who they're actually going to be able to field. Or if the Dockers will have more of a situation. As you may remember, David Mundy and Brennan Cox were both in COVID protocols for the Dockers and as a result had to miss round two. Of course, we've come to expect really across sports that a week seems to be enough to get players back. That was the case with Tim Kelly and Liam Ryan, among others, for the Eagles. But there's always a possibility of COVID being something greater. And are we demonetized again, Ethan? Probably. If this was on YouTube, we'd have been demonetized ages ago. I think it would be hard for Jordan Clark to play as poorly as he did against St. Kilda. So there's also room for improvement there from Fremantle. If he can kind of generate some action going forward, that could actually open up some opportunities for these forwards who hardly ever got chances and didn't play particularly well when they had them, with the exception of Rory Lobb. Meanwhile, for the Eagles, I'm wondering 
how many of those top-ups may be factors going forward. Not necessarily this season, but in the greater picture. It was great seeing Aaron Black get his first AFL goal, and it was great seeing Declan Mountford after having met Dermot Brereton in the elevator around bounce time, still in a polo, be able to get a goal. We got a chance to see a lot of the Eagles' development in a real-time AFL match. And yes, it was North Melbourne, but they held up much better than I think anybody expected them to. This game is such a wild card, and I think the betting lines right now reflect that. As of now, Fremantle is favored by just half a point. I'm sure that'll change as the week goes on and the picture becomes clearer for who's playing. That should change one direction or another. On the actual AFL app, which has the official stuff from Sportsbet, there is no line on this game. And I completely agree with that move. I would not touch this Western Derby with a 39.5-foot pole. Maybe once teams are announced, we'll start to have some idea of what it's going to look like. Either way, I think this unpredictability could make it a pretty entertaining contest. And I think it's one where the Dockers should really come in with a chip on their shoulder after they played so poorly against St. Kilda. I was super disappointed with them. Had them earmarked as a finals team. Still believe that's very possible. But even with who they're missing, they're going to have to play a far better game. Yeah, we don't have much educated insight on this one, but I really don't think anyone does at this time. So there we have it. And there we have round three. There were a lot of intriguing things going into the home and away season that we already expected to brew going into this round and add on the storylines unique to 2022. And you really got a jam-packed round where there shouldn't be one really dull game, even though a couple results are expected, i.e. Brisbane running over North. With that, we're going to call it a night. Next time you hear from us, we will be recording from afar again. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Castle Media. That's Castle with a K. K-A-S-S-E-L-M-E-D-I-A. I am at BenjaminHK01 on Twitter. Together, we are at Americans Footy, and you can find Grian sleeping next to me right now. He is on Instagram at cat named Grian, C-A-T-N-A-M-E-D-G-R-Y-A-N, or just search Grian Harambe. Even though at this point our audience is relatively small, we really appreciate having you tune in and engage with us. Again, let us know where you're tuning in from. We love finding out where we're able to connect with people from. Once again, tell us your feedback on our analysis, and we look forward to speaking with you again in the very near future. Hopefully, round three excites just as much as the first two have. Even the smallest interaction has brightened my day, whether that be in Berkeley or back here. And as I move toward the home stretch of my final undergraduate semester, I think I'm just going to be even more grateful for any little comment that anyone has. I will be as fast to respond with my own feedback as possible, and I know that'll be the case for you as well, wherever you may be this footy and baseball season. And hey, if your comment's good enough, he may even think about you in the bathtub.